Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. All right. Hello, everybody. My name is Patrick Adams, and we are in episode 18 of the Lean Solutions Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about cashing the check in lean transformations with Jack Kaler. Uh, Jack has been developing end-to-end solutions for customer-facing processes, quote-to-cash, operations, supply chain finance, and back-office functions for over 20 years. Uh, And as a transformation program leader, he's implemented agile, lean-based programs, uh, deployed and managed cross-functional business and technical teams, uh, and built consensus uh, support for innovative initiatives. Uh, So Jack, uh, hello and welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So where are you joining us from? I'm in uh, San Juan Capistrano, California. All right. It's a sunny day here. Yeah. It's sunny here in Michigan, too, so we're, we're sharing the sunshine today. It's great. Beautiful. It's, it is a beautiful day. Um, so today we're going to be talking about cashing the check on lean transformation. Um, so I'm excited to, to talk about this because improvements time back to bottom line is such an important topic, and I know that, that we're going to get into some of that conversation today, uh, so I'm excited. Uh, what, what exactly is cashing the check? You know, why, why is cashing the check an important topic, and why should lean practitioners care about it? So for a lean practitioner, cashing the check is really, um, it's, it's really the key to sustaining a lean program and um, having the company switch to a lean culture versus going on a uh, flavor of the, of, of the month uh, bender with lean and then moving to something else. What I mean by cashing the check is, is that we're taking operational improvements that you're, that you're very likely to get by implementing um, lean and turning those into financial results that are meaningful to the CEO, the CFO, and to uh, key stakeholders in the organization. If you don't translate the operational um, improvements into the bottom line or the top line, mm-hmm. then chances are the, um, the, the attention span of the senior leadership of the company will move to things where they feel like those meaningful changes can be made. Sure. So that's why it's, it's so important to the to the practitioners. That makes a lot of sense. It's it's almost like uh, it, you know executive level leaders sometimes seem to almost speak a different language, right? And if we as lean practitioners or frontline managers or you know whoever you may be within your organization, if you don't speak that language, sometimes it can be difficult to get a project approved or to you know, get money that is necessary in order to move ahead with the project or things like that, right? Yeah, Patrick, I think you're absolutely right. A lot of times um, when I was working on manufacturing floors, I found that we would rely on senior leaders to speak our language mm-hmm. rather than meeting them in their world. And their priorities are very much um, certainly internally focused with with regard to you know operational efficiencies, quality, delivery, customer satisfaction. But think of the externalities and the audiences that they have to present to. It's going to be boards of directors. It's going to be private equity companies. It's going to be external stakeholders who are looking at the profitability and the overall financial performance of the company. And if you can't translate your improvements on the shop floor or in the back office operations to something that's meaningful to those metrics, you're really not going to meet them on their on their playing field. That's right. And that's it's such an important topic, 
that I think is missed by so many, uh, you know, frontline managers or lean practitioners that are out there. So, uh, so important. Uh, I, I actually worked at a company that uh, my lean coach mandated me to uh, to always tie every improvement back to, you know, some type of KPI for the company and also show, you know, how financially that that, in, that would impact the company. Um, and so there, there was always this, uh, this thought in the back of my mind, how... How do I make sure that I can tie this back to, you know, the financials? And, and that has always given me, you know, that feeling of, you know, thinking or I guess looking at things in a different way, you know, versus just let's just make an improvement. Well, let's think about this. Is it driving us closer to our goals as an organization? And, you know, obviously profitability is one of those goals. If we're not, we're not profitable as a company, then we're not going to be around for very long, right? So we have to be sure that the improvements that we're making are helping to drive us closer to, to you know, that KPI or, or to, you know, um, to the bottom line. So. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and it wasn't until I, um, I started working in sort of the senior transformation roles um, and started working more closely with um, either private equity sponsors who were working with their portfolio companies to improve their performance, or with CFOs who were doing the same in corporations or in portfolios. Uh, um, what they're looking for specifically is, you know, it's they're they're looking to improve top line um, revenue. Obviously, that's that that's a big that's a big bang for the buck. They're looking to improve EBITDA, which is. Um, earnings before interest, um, tax, and um, amortization, which is essentially the profitability, and they're looking to improve working capital. And if you can move the numbers on those three metrics, then you have a meaningful case, um, you have a meaningful story for the C-suite. If you can't translate your op your operational improvements, whether you know, no matter how good they are, to one or more of those three metrics, you really don't have a story to tell mm. in the C-suite. Yeah, such such a good uh, such an important uh, topic again. But here's the reality, uh, Jack. We we're not all Toyota, right? You hear mm -hmm. obviously in the lean world, we hear Toyota, and, and Toyota is usually put up on this pedestal, but. You know, not every company is Toyota. Not every every company is in the same industry. They're not the same size. You know, they have different teams. It's a different time. Um, so, you know, how does this topic apply to the average enterprise, to an average company, an average organization? Uh, how does this fit? So, Toyota did something that, um, as you allude to, that everybody aspires to. They really moved the numbers on um, on the size of their market. So they went from being a pretty much an also-ran, not even consequential player in the auto um, industry to, you know, for a while the largest auto maker in the world, and certainly um, the the ideal for efficiency and and, and effective operations. Um, they did that over a long period of time, but what they did was they basically moved the the, the expectation, you know, that Kano diagram of, you know comparing what you get with what you expect you can get. Mm. Um, they moved the customer's expectation, completely shifted, it disrupted the industry. That's kind of a, that's kind of a holy grail. Um, and in some ways, you know, they even, to, to, to get that, that, that growth metric to move, even they moved, um, moved it in sort of the, the less 
strategic way, certainly strategic. But they moved it in a less strategic way by gaining market share in an established industry. You can see, though, in many industries today, that's happening at a more strategic level. You can see that in electric cars where applying, um, you know, just applying lean and scaling and, you know, technology innovation is changing the battery technology so that um, sustainable fuels and electric cars are now becoming a more viable substitute for com internal combustion engines and, and traditional uh, fossil fuels. So you can see that that big, that big disruptive force is taking place. But for regular companies, you know, if you're looking to get the growth meter going, and that's one of, you know, the, that's one of the two areas, um, you're really looking at how do you get bigger deals? How do you take more market share in the market that you're already in? And that comes from you know, things like deal size, things like customer satisfaction, repeat, um, repeat customers versus defection. It comes from um, converging, uh, not converging, um, um, converting deals. Okay. So when a customer starts down a path, you're going to actually complete that sale, complete that fulfillment, and they're gonna actually execute the transaction with a high level of satisfaction. Those are the things that drive um, that that drive operational improvements into um, top line revenue. Sure. The the other side of that, and and this is the side where I think most of us play in, is how do we ch how do we change the cost picture? Mm -hmm. And in a lot of lean improvements, you know, we are looking at reducing the cycle times. We're improving quality. We're doing things that make things better, faster, cheaper on the operations and the back office, you know, whether it's an end-to-end -end order to cash process or it's on a, um, a shop floor where we're doing assembly or fabrication or some activity in a, in a manufacturing setting more effectively. Where I think we drop the ball and don't cash the check is when we take an operational improvement where we've taken 50% out of, let's say, a, um, you know, lead times on a, in an assembly area or painting or whatever, Mm -hmm. And we don't translate that into the, the consequential labor cost reduction that goes along with that. And the hard part about this is that CFOs are very skeptical these days if you say, I'm saving two minutes per unit sure. in a production area, because they never see, they never see that translate into a labor cost right. unless, you, unless you do the subsequent activity that's necessary, which is to rebalance your labor, mm -hmm. to then go in and reorganize and say, now we're going to adjust our labor inputs and take out and redeploy the people or redeploy the people into more productive areas or cash the check in, in some other way. Sure, sure. But those are the things that I think a lot of um, lean practitioners, we, we talk about process and we talk about um, quality, but we really don't talk about, and we also talk about technology, we don't always talk about the organizational um, people, jobs, skills, implications of that. Sure. And one of the key, the key factors that differentiates a successful, um, a successful project that, that certainly delivers a financial impact is do we redeploy people in such a way that we're optimizing the organization to suit the optimized process? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the, the question. I, and I do have a lot of people that ask me, you know, when, when you do go into an organization and you start to, you know, create some improvements and transform the organization, what do you do when you have, you, you take a, an area, for, you know, and you go from 
uh, 10 people down to five people? You know, what do you do as an organization? What's the right approach? What's the right way, the right response to that? Um, and I, I always go into organizations and, you know, let them know that it's never the right thing to just start cutting people when you make improvements because you're immediately um, causing all of those people that, you know, were excited about making improvements and excited about being part of this transformation. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to close up and they're not going to say anything because they just saw their friends who, you know, were part of this transformation and now they're losing their job. So you immediately turn everything in the, in the opposite direction uh, that you want to be going in developing a culture of continuous improvement. So, you know, I, I guess my question to you is, what would your thought be around that topic if someone was to ask you, you know, how do we communicate that? Because unfortunately, there's a lot of executives and decision makers out there that would say, cut the bodies and, you know, let's move forward. Uh, what's, your, what's your take on that or what's your thought? You know, it's a really um, important question because you're right, many executives who are frustrated because the improvements don't lead to, um, lead to the financial results, they end up making the cuts first and then saying, now figure out how to make this work. Right. Um, which is a, you know, sort of an upside down way to, to do business. But at the same time, from their perspective, what they feel like they're doing is forcing um, complacent managers, middle managers, to make decisions that they wouldn't otherwise make. Mm -hmm. And I guess the question that we all always have to ask ourselves as, um, as lean practitioners and as, um, as, as operations managers is, how can we stay ahead of that expectation by continuously improving sure. so that we're improving and taking those costs and redeploying them faster than the executives will um, faster than the exec executive's expectation so that they never come and say, hey, you're not going fast enough. Sure. Now, now the, the key to this, and I think this is the, the, the answer to your question, is that we have to look at our business and say, are we really cost constrained to the point where we just have to take costs out? Or can we look at this as an opportunity to become what, in effect, is a growth business again? Right. So I'll give you an example of what, I'm, what I mean. Um, I worked with a, a locomotive company um, a few years ago. And the locomotive companies, you, you're not selling, as you can imagine, a whole lot of new locomotives these days. There's a lot of stock out there. And um, so their business is primarily driven by spare parts, keeping the locomotives that are in the existing fleet going. Now, unfortunately, their production line, um, one of their key spare parts is this giant, heavily machined head. And the thing is about the size of, I don't know, garbage can. Um, Long story short, they were making this thing on a um, on a very archaic transfer line. They were getting about less than 20% of their capacity, the expected capacity was coming off the line on any given day. And so they had an enormous backlog, a lot of frustrated customers, and a growing competition from third-party manufacturers who were supplying similar heads into their market, eating away at their market share, to the point where this was really causing the company to be distressed. They brought us in on an interim basis to run that line because they were planning on introducing, just rebuilding a new, brand new um, automated process line for tens of millions of dollars to replace this old equipment. Mm -hmm. We came in and we started doing some very basic lean improvements and very basic management. and when in, over the course of three months, we quadrupled um, overall equipment effectiveness. Wow. We quadrupled the output. The, um, the 
process was catching up with backlog. And our discussion, when we started looking at the numbers, we said we're driving costs down so quickly that what we might want to do is lower our, our price to market mm -hmm. and recapture some of that market share. So now we're driving we're driving the costs down based upon our you know our ability to make that up in in, in volume, sure. and produce less less expensively, and we can recapture market share so that now this becomes a growth industry again, mm -hmm. and that was that was a, um, a a very surprising conversation for the CEO of that company because again this is a legacy business you know. The, Locomotives have been around for a long time, and um, they hadn't thought of their business in such a way that they could recapture their market or even grow the market um, mm -hmm. in the way that we were proposing. So that's how we have to look at this. We have to say, how do we take what we do, reset the expectations in the marketplace, be like a GoPro where we're taking a product that everybody says, look, it's a digital camera. How, you know, how many how many ways can you make one of those? And they said, well, we're going to figure out a new one and reinvent a market for this. That's what we have to reinvest in. And I think lean gives us the ability to free up the capacity, the human muscle, which is in the brain, mm -hmm. to start saying, how do we innovate? How do we sell more? How do we sell different and into other spaces that we otherwise couldn't go? That's right. By freeing up capacity that's used on you know, non-value-added activities. That's so right. that's that's the way we have to look at this. Yeah. Um, you certainly can't. You know, you're, you're you're. It can't be a race to the bottom. It can't be a cost-cutting exercise in its entirety. But that takes a that takes an executive team that trusts the lean people to be able to free up capacity so that they can go look at how do we innovate and how do we drive more business in the front door. Right. Makes makes a ton of sense. Uh, very very true. And you mentioned costs. Uh, and, and also, so I want to transition here just a little bit to sure. another topic uh, specific to cost. But uh, why do some lean initiatives fail at reducing costs? Right. So obviously, we want to be continued continuously improving. We want to be innovating and growing and, and uh, as a business. Uh, but as we're continuously improving and um, trying to reduce costs within the organization, uh, there are some there are times where you know, this might fail. And I'm just curious to know, you know, why do you think that happens? And what can, or, what can organizations do to, to combat that? Well, I think it's two things, and it both involves disconnects. You're disconnecting with the, um, so the operations improvements are happening kind of in isolation. Um, it's happening in a process, and everybody says, oh, we've improved the process. Um, sure. but, but, but we're not doing anything to the organization structure, the people who are um, deployed to that process or to that, those departments that it, um, that it impacts, and we're not tied in with the CFO. Um, I have a great example of this. We did some work with um, the State Department on uh, a few years ago on, um, on issuing visas and passports. And um, those processes start, um, if you're overseas, they start in the consulates. Mm -hmm. So you walk into a consulate, you fill out applications, go through a, a series of steps to verify your identity and so forth, and get, your, um, and, and get yourself into the, the, the visa application process. In the United States, it's similar. You go through the same kind of thing and buy, you know, validate your identity and get yourself into a, into a process to get you a passport, you know, the little book with your picture in it and so forth. Those processes were very convoluted. They went through a lot of different steps, you know, layers and layers of approach. 
approval, a lot of redundancy, mm -hmm. where they thought redundancy was the way, you know, more eyes equals more quality, that sort of thing. And we really helped them see that that wasn't the way to get quality. You really have to get quality at the at the source, at the first step, and make sure that that happens, and, you know, yada, yada, you know the story. Mm -hmm. So they made a lot of improvements to their process. They had, um, I, I think it was, well, I, I won't quote percentages, but it was a significant reduction in the, um, in the effort and the time it took to, to get, a, get a passport and a visa. Mm -hmm. What they didn't do was anything about, okay, now we've got this, these individuals who are doing this, you know, 100% of their time or whatever percent of their time, and now they're doing it 100% minus the improvement. So now they've got freed up time. They did nothing with those with those jobs. They did nothing with those people's assignments. They didn't tell them what to do. So I assume they're spending more time answering emails. They're spending more time doing other things. You know, the rest of the work kind of expands into that space. Sure. And that's where the CFO just says, so why do I do these improvement activities at all? Because I'm not seeing anything, I'm not seeing anything in the bottom line to, to, to justify that. What we have to do is team with finance. We have to team with the, um, with the HR organization designers and say, look, we're going to change this process. Here's, here's what the old process is and how many people we use. This is the new process and how many people we will project to use. And that's a math problem. And now we have to say, what is the, you know, what is the plan to redeploy this number of individuals, or if we're going to, you know, use that as to take costs out of the organization, how do we do that in a way that minimizes disruption and maximizes motivation, whether it's through attrition or through redeploying to other parts of the business that are in growth mode and need headcount, and there are always those. But we have to, we have to work with the CFO and the, the HR people to make a, a smart organization design and to apply those benefits to the area, to the scope of the area, so that the lean improvement is actually getting credit for the cost reduction. And right. somebody else is saying, I don't have to go to the street to fill these, to fill these new positions. That's right, exactly. That, yeah, I, I love that you, that you talked about attrition and growth, um, because those are, those are, it's so important for us to think about that, you know, before again, like we talked about earlier, just making the cuts, right? There's other ways that we can, uh, we can look at reducing costs in the company, um, and and so I appreciate that you use those those uh, examples. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about uh, customer experience. So, how do we capture financial benefits uh, from customer experience improvements? So, customer experience is going to be the is, is going to really relate to the top line, mm -hmm. and that's the that's the opportunity to you know pull a Toyota on your on your competitors, whether you're a smaller player trying to trying to elbow aside big, big established players, or you're a big player trying to, uh, trying to really protect your turf and to just dominate the, mar the field, what you're really trying to do is constantly ratchet up the customer's expectations. And the expectations are based on what they see, what they see in your field or what they see in somebody else's field. Remember that Cano diagram, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's basically saying the customer is going to be as satisfied as they think you are delivering according to what you could be doing. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the fact is, if you stop and, and, and just let things go for a while, they are going to start asking, is this as good as it can be? And you know, everybody's kind of, you know, at this point, grown up on Google. And you know, when you can 
type in some keywords and then you know a hundredth of a second you get back you know 33 million you know answers <laughs> to to the question they're asking why can't I get something better faster cheaper um, did a great project with um, with one of the big four accounting firms that was preparing taxes for um, for for Google expatriate workers, um, people from Google who were deployed to other countries to work, and those tax returns are very complicated. You have to basically do a tax return in the United States. You have to do a tax return in the host country, wherever that is. You know, and if they're in Mogadishu, you have to figure out the Mogadishu tax laws, right. and then compare it to the United States and say, okay, we're going to gross you up or figure out the difference and make you whole. Think about how complex that is. Uh, I don't but, even want to. <laughs> so, so the funny part is, right, that, that the people who are these expats, they're not saying, wow, this is a really complex deal. They're saying, you know, why can't I just do this on Intuit, on TurboTax? Sure. TurboTax can do this. And so they're really comparing you, fairly or unfairly, to what they think is the possible solution. Mm -hmm. So what we really have to do is say, we have to keep innovating. We have to keep, we have to be the possible solution. That's what Apple does really, really well. Their innovation reputation comes from the fact that they are the company everybody else compares them to, mm -hmm. so is compared to. So when you think about a, a customer, um, a, a consumer uh, electronic and an innovative consumer electronic company, the first thing that pops into mind, Steve Jobs, Apple, da, da, da. You don't think about Samsung, even though their technology is terrific. You don't think about, you know, you know the, the, the Microsoft Surface. You think about Apple, and, you know, it's a gorgeous customer experience. That's because they care about that. They just, they're just driven to work that. And what does that do? It drives an incredible amount of customer satisfaction, a, an incredible amount of loyalty. And here's what the, what the CFO cares about. You're getting retention. You're getting bigger deal size. You're getting a lot more conversion. Mm -hmm. Someone starts on that process. They're going to carry it out, and they're, and they're winning customers and keeping those customers. And so now the lifetime value of that customer is massive compared to the transactional stuff. I might buy an HP computer. I might buy a Microsoft computer. I might, you know, whoever. I don't have that kind of loyalty. But when it comes to the Apple people, they are very, very loyal. Yes. So that customer experience really drives some metrics that predict long-term revenue growth. And not only that, but it, it stabilizes that revenue mm -hmm. over a much longer period. And that's something that can be forecast. That's something that can be counted on and tied directly back to their customer value, voice of the customer activities, and the supply chain and operating efficiencies that are that they drive and strive to use to support that. Exactly. Uh, so 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 fun to just think about that. And, you know, I think about even for my own company when you when you talk through just the customer experience and Apple and all of those things, I think about what can I be doing better? You know, what can we be doing better, you know, to uh, not only to provide a better customer experience, but to, um, to understand the financial benefits that come behind that, right? And make that connection, you know, and everybody in the organization should be able to be part of that and see that, understand it. I, no, I, I completely agree. And, and, and Patrick, it's funny because um, I, I'm sure you do something like this too, but after every one of our, um, you know, we do lean workshops, we do lean trainings, we we do a lot of work around um, 
around um, lean, digital, and, and, and that sort of thing. And sure. after every one of those workshops, whether it's a training or, a, um, or, or an actual re-engineering event, we have a, a plus delta. Um, mm -hmm. we, we set aside time in our wrap-up for a plus delta, and that's every single day. Yes. And, you know, we open up the questions to the participants there, and we say, look, what, what, what did you like about this? What didn't you like? And I don't care if it's the, the amount of time I talk or the temperature of the room or, you know, did you think there was too much mayonnaise on your lunch? You know, it's anything and everything is open because we want your experience. We want to get that feedback. We're, we're like, really starving for that feedback. Right. And we want to know how we can tune our message tune our experience to get the most, in, you know, the, the, the most effective customer experience based on what we're trying, we're trying to do. And even if we're not getting anything that's novel, we want to validate that what happened yesterday and we learned yesterday is still relevant today. That's right. So, so this kind of data is it's super important for my team um, in order to keep up with what the customer is thinking with what this customer versus our last customer is thinking and whether they're different and start thinking about why. But it really brings us that intimacy that we wouldn't otherwise get. Exactly. Well, Jack, this has been, this has been a really, really great conversation. We covered a lot of topics, uh, but you know, just the, the understanding of cashing the check and how important that is for lean practitioners, for uh, managers and executives uh, and being able to talk talk the same language and, you know, really understand, you know, costs and, you know, the customer experience and just everything. It, it's been, it's been great to, to talk with you today. Um, if, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, they have questions about something that they heard today, or, uh, you know, maybe they want to reach out to you for some assistance around, you know, some of the, some of the work that you do around supply chain and finance and back office functions and things like that. How would they get a hold of you? You can um, reach me at my email, which is jack.kaler, and I'll spell it for you. That's kind of, I, sh I should be able to put it up on the screen here, but it's jack.kaler, K-A-H-L-E-R, at Zenovate, that's X-E-N-O-V-8, the number eight, dot com. All right, I'll see if I can also... throw it up on the video. Oh, terrific, that'll be great. Yeah. Uh, so, so they can email you. You're also out on LinkedIn. Uh, yes. I'm, yes. I'm guessing that's your website as well. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Uh, so, so Jack, it's been great to have you on today. Appreciate all the the uh, great insight, and the, you also gave a few really really good examples too of companies that you've worked with. So, so that's very helpful for all of us uh, that are listening to this. So, thank you so much for being with us, Patrick. Today. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, Jack. Yep. You too. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.